for our sermon this morning. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The Word of the Lord. We are coming to the end of this section we call 1 through 11 here in Philippians 3. And in verse 3, we're given the definition of a Christian, a true Christian. He calls them the true circumcision. In verse 3, it says, For we are the true circumcision who worship, number one, in the Spirit of God. Number two, glory in Christ Jesus. And number three, put no confidence in the flesh. The true Christian is somebody who is not circumcised physically, but the Apostle Paul back in Romans 2 says that we're all Jews or we're all Christians if we're circumcised in our hearts. It's in the heart that's what he is getting at. And he lays out these three points for us as to what a true Christian is. And what happens here, instead of explaining these points with sermons, Instead of doing what I'm going to do today, he gives his own personal confession to explain these points. And what he does is he works backwards. Instead of starting with, verse, with, with the first point, worshiping in the Spirit of God, he starts with putting no confidence in the flesh, the final point he made in verse 3. And so he explains that in verses 4 through 6. And then the second mark of being a true Christian or the true circumcision, he explains in verses 7 through 9, glorying in Christ Jesus. And then he comes to the first mark, which is worshiping in the Spirit, and he explains that point in verses 10 and 11. And so that brings us to what is this worshiping of the Spirit of God, worshiping in the Spirit of God. And we have to say that it begins with conversion. When you say conversion, if you go read your theology books, you're going to find that a coin has what? A coin has heads and tails. It doesn't have heads and heads. It doesn't have tails and tails. It has heads and it has tails. And when you have conversion, you have repentance and you have faith. And worshiping in the Spirit begins with repentance. It re- we repent, if you will, of glorying in our own works. We have to repent of something. And he tells us here that we repent of what these false circumcision are teaching. The false circumcision says if you're going to worship in the false manner, you put your faith in Christ, but you have to add something to it. You have to add a work. You have to add a surgery. You have to add something physical to it. You have to do something that the law says. And that's what the false circumcision would say. We would say that justification by faith is a declaration. It's an act. 
It's something that God says not guilty based on faith in Jesus Christ apart from works. But the false circumcision are saying, listen, you got to add just a little bit more to your faith. And it becomes, and I was talking to Mr. Harris this past week. This past week we went to the hospital to see Steve. We said, you know, a lot of people see justification as a process. Right? It's a process. Faith in Jesus Christ plus doing this. And this is how we're justified. But we would say no. Justification is an act. It's a declaration. Your faith. You are declared righteous based on faith in Christ apart from any works. But the false circumcision, those who worship Christ in the wrong way, they would come up and they would say, Lord, we put our faith in Jesus Christ and I do this. Now you owe me. I'm doing this. Hey, listen, Lord. Did you see what I did this morning? I got up and I got my family here on time. Did you see what I did? Do you see the magnificence of this? I got up. I got breakfast. I got them up. I got their breakfast. I got them here on time. Do you see what I've done? Do you see my Bible reading? And do you see me taking the Lord's Supper? Do you see me fellowshipping with these folks around here? I'm doing this to be one of your people. I'm doing this in order to be saved. Now the jig is up. You owe me. You owe me. Worshiping in the Spirit of God is just the opposite of that. (laughs) It's repenting from anything that you do. It's not trusting in anything that you do. Remember what we've said. Paul says, I don't trust in anything that I've I've done. Anything that is, uh, I think, amazing in my own eyes. We begin to see that our good works are not gain but loss. Our surgeries, our whatever it is we think we do is not profitable. So we come in the person of Jesus Christ, and we come to Him, and we take hold of the righteousness that He provides. And then we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, and I like how He puts it here. Think about it like, think, those, think about those words. Put all your confidence in Him. Not in yourself. Put all your confidence in Christ. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And we teach our children this as we catechize them. And the Spirit of God leads us into the truth. And where is the truth that the Spirit of God leads us? Well, it's right here in our hands. The Spirit of God has inspired this through all the kids said, holy men who were taught by who? The Holy Spirit, (laughs) right? And so we have it right here. And the Spirit of God is going to lead us into this truth. And He's going to show us what it means to have all our confidence in Jesus Christ alone. Can you think about this? You have Christ's righteousness in your bank account. It means that all His thoughts that were perfect and pure are yours. It means all His perfect words belong to you. It means all the things that He did on the earth, His actions belong to you. Can you think, can you realize that? It means that He treats you as if you had never sinned. That's sometimes hard to think about. We were with the men a few weeks ago before we started reading our book. And um, we were going through, uh, this is one of those things I always teach the kids. If I, if I ask the kids, uh, show me where we talk about the Trinity, they all should say Matthew chapter 3. And we see Jesus being baptized. And we see the Spirit coming down in the form of a dove and lighting on Him. And the Father says what about the Son? 
who's being baptized. In the, we don't see the Father, right, because he has not a body like men. <laughs> so we have the Father over here, and he says, This is my what? This is my beloved Son. Do you understand that's exactly what he says about you? In whom I am well pleased. Do you understand that he's well pleased with you by faith? It's hard to get that. Not based on anything we do. One commentator says this, God will have no man reminding him of all of his works. God will have no man reminding him of all of his success. But God will have a man reminding him, I am righteous before you because of Jesus Christ alone. His work saves me. His life, his death, his suffering, his resurrection are all mine. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. This is the man. This is the woman who worships in the spirit of God. It starts with conversion. Well, it continues by impartation. So we have the Spirit of God teaching us that all of Jesus' righteousness is mine. And you know where that righteousness is right now? I love this. I think it's Hebrews 8 verse 1. It tells us where Jesus is. It tells us he's presenting himself before the Father right now at his right hand. So all of your righteousness is located right there at God's right hand. He is your righteousness. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just teach you this, but the Holy Spirit comes to abide in you the same way Jesus came to live on this earth and abide in human flesh. He abides in you. He makes a home in you. And He begins to impart righteousness in your life. He begins to favor or flavor your life. I'm reminded of that uh, commercial where the girl looked at her husband and said she used the word flavor. Flavor. I didn't say flavor. She said flavor. He flavors your life. This is what the Spirit of God is going to do. Now, everybody knows what grits are. Y'all know what grits are? You know, grits are bland. (laughs) Grits are bland. So what do you want to do to them? You want to put a little salt in them, and that makes them salty grits. You put a little butter in them, that makes them buttery grits. You put a little brown sugar in them, makes them brown sugary grits. Well, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's in you, He's going to flavor your life with righteousness or he's going to flavor your life with the fruit of the spirit which we say are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the way down to self-control the most important place the spirit works righteousness into your life from the inside out guess where it is right here right here in the wide awake I know I got that from somebody because I wouldn't have come up with that. In the wide awake public worship of God. That that came out of somebody's commentary. Wide awake. This is where the Spirit has you right where He wants you. This is where the Spirit is meeting you with every, every part. One of the things we do as far as this worship goes, every one of these lines is coming off the Word of God. The Spirit of God penned all these words. You're reading them. You're, being, you're absorbing them. The writer um, in Proverbs 2 says, The Word of God, it enters into your heart and becomes pleasant to your soul. It penetrates. This is penetrating our hearts. God has us right where He wants us when we're here. We're being reminded that we're not saved by our works but we're saved apart from our works by faith in Christ alone. We're, we need to be reminded of that how many times? 
one, four times a year? <laughs> every, every day sometimes, right? The default setting, I did it my way. I did it. I did it on my own. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be understanding our sins are forgiven. We need, to need, we need to look at Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We need to come to this place and be comforted. We need to come to this place and be challenged. We need to come to this place and be cut to the quick if it needs to be because of our sin. We need to come to this place and walk with God and walk out of here challenged and ready to live for God. Yes, we sing, we pray, we pray these things, we read these things into our hearts, they penetrate our hearts. We walk out of this place not to live like the world, but to be different from it. That's what we do. This is impartation. This is that flavoring. Well, then worshiping in the Spirit, it continues in meditation. Now, this is me making up a word to try to grasp hold of what's going on here. Meditation, let me try to explain it. Meditation is, is the worship that takes place between your ears. <laughs> it's, the, it's the worship that's going on in your heart. It's serving God and serving Christ in your thoughts. And the reason I think that I'm picking that word is because of the word we see there in verse 10. It says that I may know Him. That I might know Him. Now, the most important phrase in chapter 3, verse 10 is, let me read the whole verse to you, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's the most important phrase in verse 10, being conformed to his death. How am I to be conformed to his death? I have to know him. It starts with knowing him. It moves towards this desire to know the power of the resurrection in my life right now. It moves into understanding that I'm fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. And then I'm being squeezed into the conformity of Christ's death. Now sometimes in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, we're being told not to be squeezed into the world's mold. This is the mold we're to be squeezed into. We're to be squeezed into and conformed into Christ's death. This is what, if you're going to be squeezed in anything, this is what you to be squeezed into. So we, let's think about meditating. That I may know him with a view to being conformed to his death. What does he mean? What does the apostle mean? Do you realize that every fact that you know about Jesus Christ and about the gospel, it all comes just about from Paul? There's, he's, the, he's the teacher. What has he not taught us? He's taught us about death and burial and resurrection. He's taught us about repentance. He's taught us about forgiveness and faith. But we're not talking when we say knowing him or meditating. We're not, we're not talking about data. We're not talking about being able to push a few buttons on the computer and come up with the information like we do sometimes when we need a quick answer. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something deeper than that. We're talking about something deeper than just knowing the truth and applying the truth. Now, that's some great stuff. I don't say not to do that. If you hear a command, you go and obey it. If you hear a prohibition, then you go and you stay away from it. If you hear a threat, you tremble. If you hear a promise, you believe it. Those are all right out of the confession, by the way. Okay, so it's deeper than that. What, what is it? Well, knowing Christ, this meditating or knowing Christ, it's like when you see where the Bible says that Adam knew Eve, the Bible's not so prude that it can't talk about physical intimacy. But knowing his wife is so much more than one thing. 
All you men who've been married. I, I talked to Steve yesterday. I, I didn't know he would be a source of some of my content today. I said, how long have you been married, brother? And he's better. He can talk to me yesterday. He said, 52 years. And the whole time that I'm sitting there between him and Linda, she's telling him how much she loves him, and he's telling her how much he loves her. And he's right. He, and the day before, he had written me letters telling me, I love you, Pastor. I love you, Pastor. I love the church. I love God. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> now, think about it. I'm just going to talk about my side of it. I've been married for 32 years. And we have had to go through some stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've been, there's some people who have been married way longer than me. And I remember somebody holding my hand when I was hurting. And I remember moving thousands of miles backwards and forwards across the United States and somebody going with me. <laughs> and somebody sometimes telling me I'm wrong and sometimes telling me I need to repent and sometimes telling me I need to shut up. So it's way more than one thing. Knowing. This is what he's talking about. I want to know Jesus Christ the same way we're talking about marriage. My whole life is oriented towards a person with red hair. My whole life, he said, I want it to be oriented to Jesus Christ. I want it to be conformed to the image of his death. And he tells us what that looks like in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Remember, he says that Jesus puts on the human, human flesh and he comes. And his whole objective is to do the will of God even to the point of dying on the cross. That's what he's talking about. Being conformed to this pattern. This in Philippians 2. I'm going to be in union with this person named Jesus. And I want my life conformed or squeezed into this pattern. And as, as, as a result, I'm just going to say it again. I'm going to say it before I get there. When you're squeezed into death, what comes out of death? Well, always life. Death and life. That's what it is. And you see in the Bible, death and life, death and life. Jesus dies. Jesus is raised from the dead. That's the next thing, meditating on the power of the resurrection. He knows he's going to be raised physically from the dead in the future, but right now he's meditating on this power he wants in his life. I go back to Acts chapter 6 when I think Saul was coveting uh, Stephen. The power that he saw in this man, the forgiving heart that he saw in this man, the wisdom that he saw in this man, he wants this power that raised Jesus from the physical dead to be at work in his life today. That's what you want, isn't it? <laughs> I do. So this is what he's meditating on. Well, finally, he comes to meditating on the fellowship of his sufferings. That I may know him, this union with him, like a man with his wife, all those, all those years, all that time of coffee, all that time of, of traveling, all that time of being in the hospital when your back was hurting, all that. He wants all of that. He wants to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It's, it's our privilege to suffer. It's Paul's privilege to suffer. But you know what he says? I don't have to suffer alone. <laughs> it's fellowship. Fellowship of his sufferings. And so as he fellowships with Jesus Christ, as he walks with Jesus Christ, he's going to suffer as he obeys. Now, some of the suffering that we deal with is 
you know, we suffer from some sins we've done, we've committed. But he suffers along with us. And in some of our suffering, we're going to go obey, we're going to go do what's right, and we're going to be persecuted. And we're going to suffer. But we don't have to suffer alone. And so this is to be the continual meditation of every Christian on the earth. We are to be conformed to Christ's death. So that as we're conformed to this death, life is always coming forth. The seed is going into the ground. You and I are being broken to pieces. And life is going to come out of that broken seed. Well, how do we maybe further explain this? And if you would, you can turn to Romans 6. Um, And I'm just going to read to you parts of Romans 6. And I think this phrase, being conformed to Jesus' death in Philippians 3.10, is perfectly explained in Romans 6. This is union with Christ. Now listen to this, and don't get lost in the terms. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? You know, if, you're, if your preacher's really preaching that salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, this should be a question that comes your way. Do you mean, and I remembered this this morning, so I wrote it down. Preacher, this is what a friend of mine said to me. Free from the law, oh, happy condition. I can sin all I want and still have remission. That's not what we see. But that's what they ask. My friend said, listen, Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark, if I believe what you just said, it means that I can sin all I want and still be forgiven. And you know what Paul says to that? I told my friend, sitting in the locker room, I read to him verse 2. It says, may it never be. God forbid, verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, there's that word, baptized means union, Baptizing into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we who have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So did you hear those words, baptized into his death? <laughs> we're, we're baptized, we're buried, we're raised with Jesus Christ. This is all terminology that talks about being united to Christ. Now, I've used this before, but I use it again. If you were in Moses, and you, then you walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. But if you're in Pharaoh, <laughs> you got to walking across the sea and the waters collapse on top of you. If you're in Jesus, if you're in Jesus, you're, you're baptized into his death. You're buried with him. You're raised up with him. Stick with me. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united, here there's that word again, united with him in the likeness of his death. We're meditating on being in union with Christ in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Meditating on union with Christ. You see, I died with him, and my old self died when he died, and I'm a new person when he was raised. I was raised. I am a new person in Jesus Christ. This is how you and I are to think. Now, there's not one of us. This is spiritual talking. 
This is spiritual language. Remember, we went a few weeks ago in John chapter 6, and we said they got upset when Jesus said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus wasn't speaking physically. <laughs> he was saying, you've got to take me in. You know, like we tell our kids, I'm going to eat you up. We don't mean we're going to eat them. And when Jesus, when Paul says these words here, there's not one of us that believes that we were on the cross literally with Jesus. There's not one of us believes that we were interred in a tomb with Jesus. And there's not one of us that believes that we literally were raised on that morning, the third day after he died. But spiritually, he says we were. So are we going to believe it or not? This is spiritual talking. This is spiritual terminology. Look at verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, Jesus lives to God. Jesus is raised from the dead, and now what does He do? He lives to God. Now look at verse 11. Even so you, you what? Consider yourselves to be dead in, to sin. Jesus died to sin, not for his sins, for our sins. You and I are to be dead to sin, but alive to God, just like Jesus is alive to God. You are to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is great stuff. Now watch verse 12. Now therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lust. And do not go on presenting your members, the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves alive from the dead to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall have no, not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin's no longer your master. The devil's no longer your master. The prince of the power of the air is no longer your master. You no longer live under this dominion called sin. You're not in sin anymore. You're in Christ. Let me see if I can give you an illustration. When I worked in the hospital, um, I, I worked for the, I trained the CEO. I trained the CEO of the hospital on a regular basis. Pat me on the back. I'm the, I'm the best. So I trained this man, and then I also worked with the CAO, the chief administrator of officer of the hospital. I trained his son. And so, man, I'm the, I'm the best. Y'all think, think, you think more highly of me? I, I was the man. And so here I am doing all this stuff. And um, after three years working in the hospital, I went into business for myself. Hardest thing I think I've ever done in my life. But people from the hospital began to come over to the gym where I was working. And they asked me to work them, work them out. And so I began to, to train some of these folks, and the ones I didn't have time for, I gave them to other people. I presented myself to those CAO, that CAO, that CEO, and the doctors. I presented myself when I was in the hospital to do whatever their will was. They were my master. They were my lords. They told me what to do, and I did it. But when I was in the gym and one of the doctors came over to me one day, and she started telling me what I was going to do. She started telling me how I was going to do it. And I just kind of stopped there. And I, thought, I, mean, I think I even thought about this passage. You know, um, you're not my master anymore. 
This is the point. We might think, oh, well, there, there, there's the sin again. I've got to go do what sin tells me again. I've got to do whatever Master Satan tells me to do again. No, I'm not in his realm anymore. I'm not under this doctor anymore. I told her, I said, you know what? I'm the master here. And if you want me to work you out, you will work out on my terms, not your terms. And so here's the point. You're not under sin anymore. Sin comes to you and says, I want you to lie and steal and cheat and do all sorts of stuff. And you go, I don't have to obey you anymore. I have Jesus. He's my Lord now. I do whatever he tells me. He's the master. You're not the boss of me anymore. And so you and I, we have a master. And we have this power. We have this dynamite to destroy sin in us. We have this power to change the way we act. We have this power in us to change the way we talk. We have this power in us to develop new habits, to learn how to... Oh, it's going to take some time. It's going to hurt a little bit to get up and read your Bible, you know. But you have this power to offer up your eyes and your ears and your bodies as members or instruments to righteousness and worship in the Spirit of God. And this all means you're being conformed to the, to the image of Christ's death. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. But it's a privilege to suffer with Christ as you go through all of this. Now, before we end, let me see if I can help you. I think, I think men need to hear this as much as anybody. Not just men, but, but I'm going to say this for the men, okay? Sometimes we get this idea... <laughs> We get this idea that uh, if we get up in the morning and we get our coffee going and we get our Bible out and we read, read, we read our Bible and we pray and we meditate, that we're being conformed to Christ's death. And we are. I think that's part of it. But especially at work. I talked to one of our men at, at his job last week. And he kept saying to me, he kept showing me his camera, showing me a Bible verse. And he says, I'm going through this right now. I'm going through this right now. As we, as, as, as we left, he was going back to his office. I'm going through this verse right now. And I was going, oh, he's being conformed to Christ's death. Because you see, it's not just out there under the, getting your son arm burned, doing Bible study with women. It's when you're behind a closed door and you're in the midst of it. And before... When you're in sin, you were tempted to say the wrong things, and you did. Before, when you were in sin, you were tempted to, to, to be hateful and unforgiving, and you were. But in Christ, now it's different. Now you have a different master. You have a different power on the inside of you. And now instead of looking at what you shouldn't look at, saying what you shouldn't say, you chose not to. And I would say to you, I submit to you men, that that is being conformed to Christ's death on the spot in the moment. It doesn't just have to happen with your coffee sitting on the sofa, although we like that. I know that Mr. Larson reads morning and evening with Spurgeon every single day, but it doesn't just happen there. It happens when we're behind closed doors. It happens when we only have three people watching. It happens when we're tempted to compromise. But by the Spirit's power, we go ahead and do the right thing when nobody else is looking except maybe two people. That is being conformed to Christ's death. Suffering along the way 
Jesus dies, he lives to God. You and I, we die to our sins and we live to God in Christ Jesus. Well, let me say this. He says here in verse 11, Worshiping in the Spirit of God and the great consolation is found in verse 11, In order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. We've been talking all about living in the power of the Spirit, meditating on union with Christ and living in the power of the Spirit and worshiping in the Spirit. Well, ultimately, one day Paul says, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He's the first in rank. He's the first in order. And you and I, we're going to follow him with our own resurrection from the dead at the great consummation of the ages. And we will be forever with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. And that is the great consolation. That's the end. But right now, till we get there, you know what's coming. Till we get there, continue to meditate on your union with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, this passage of scripture that's so powerful. Lord, where you teach us to put no confidence in our flesh, put all our confidence in Jesus' righteousness, Lord, to glory in Jesus Christ and to worship in the Spirit of God. We pray, Lord, that as we are united to Jesus Christ, we might re- be reminded all the time that we're new creatures in Christ, We have a spirit at work in us imparting a beautiful, sweet flavor through us of righteousness, of love, joy, and peace, and all the other fruit that the spirit bears in us. And Father, we'll praise you for it. As we leave this place today, help us be energized to go forward, to be obedient to you, and to understand what it means to be conformed to this death, squeezed into this mold so that we might see life pour out of us in mighty power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.